Did we skip a song? Huh? Okay. You want to go ahead and do the prayer song? Or? Huh? Um, Astrid said that we skipped the prayer song. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, we'll get things figured out. <clears throat> scripture today. I'm going to have Delia and Charlie come up. Delia and Charlie, come up here and sit on the floor by Dada. <clears throat> no cauliflower right now, okay? You need to be Delia. You good? Hey, Charlie. How are you doing? Good. How's Delia? Do you guys remember? I remember you guys really liked this movie. Do you guys remember seeing that movie, Prince of Egypt? It's that movie where, where the man Moses goes and he talked to God in the burning bush. Do you remember that movie? And God sent Moses to save his people from Egypt. You remember that? Remember God used Moses and he parted the water and the people were able to walk on dry land and, and get out of Egypt? Well... When we come to Easter time, that time of year is also known as Passover. And that is when our Jewish friends remember 
God sending Moses to save the people. And Jesus chose that time to go to the cross to save us from our sin, to save us from the enemy. The enemy is Satan. And Jesus did all that to deliver us kind of like how Moses delivered Israel from Egypt. And so what happens when we look at the first books of the Bible, we can see how God was giving us hints about Jesus coming. That one day Jesus would come and not just save us from, from an uh, enemy people, but he came to save all people from sin and from Satan so that we could be with God forever. And that's what we're going to talk about here in just a minute. We're going to talk about God sending Moses and how Moses is going to point towards the greater Savior, Jesus, who came and died for us so that we might be forgiven and God raised him back to life so that we can live forever with him. So let's pray about that. Gracious God, we thank you for the good news that you have given us of your son Jesus. We thank you for the signposts that you have put in the Old Testament that point to you saving your people. We remember Moses and how you used him to bring your children Israel out of Egypt and how that helps us to remember that Jesus was sent by you to save us from sin and death that we might live with you forever. And we praise you and we thank you for that good news. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you guys can go back to your seats now. We'll be reading from Exodus this morning, beginning with Exodus chapter 1, verses 8 through 22, and then we will look at Exodus chapter 3. It says, eventually a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He said to his people, Look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if a war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from the country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Pithom and Ramses as supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all their demands. Then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Sifra and Puah. When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. 
If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. But because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders. They allowed the boys to live too. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives. Why have you done this, he demanded. Why have you allowed the boys to live? The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, the midwives replied. They are more vigorous and have their babies so quickly that we cannot get there in time. So God was good to the midwives, and the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people, throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. And jumping to Exodus chapter 3, it says, One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. The land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. <clears throat> when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested, If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, What is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Now go and call together the old, all the elders of Israel. Tell them, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob has appeared to me. 
He told me, I have been watching closely and I see how the Egyptians are treating you. I have promised to rescue you from your oppression in Egypt. I will lead you to a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. The elders of Israel will accept your message. Then you and the elders must go to the king of Egypt and tell him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. So please let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand forces him. So I will raise my hand and strike the Egyptians, performing all kinds of miracles among them. Then at last he will let you go. And I will cause the Egyptians to look favorably on you. They will give you gifts when you go, so you will not leave empty-handed. Every Israelite woman will ask for articles of silver and gold and find clothing from her Egyptian neighbors and from the foreign women in their houses. You will dress your sons and daughters with those stripping the Egyptians of their wealth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I was to answer the question of what my rationale has been for this Lenten series looking at Genesis and Exodus, <clears throat> I guess my basic answer would be to show how the coming of Jesus, his life, and particularly his death and resurrection are alluded to and hinted at in the earliest books of the Old Testament. Genesis and Exodus really and truly get to the heart of the fundamental issues confronting humanity as a result of their rebellion against a good and loving God. We have looked at God's calling to us, his vocation, if you will. His vocation that he had planned for us. Our rebellion against that calling how that rebellion resulted in even the most basic unit of society, the family, being broken and the need for sacrifice to atone for the broken covenant between humanity and God. But one of the things that seems to be revealing itself in all of this is the fact that we don't just need someone or something to die in our place. But we need a deliverer, a savior, one who will lead us out of bondage to sin and death. Someone who will lead us out of our present circumstances of brokenness and enslavement into a new life. One who will lay down their life for us, intercede for us, and lead us into a kingdom of peace. As we get closer to Holy Week, we only have one more Sunday before Palm Sunday. As we get closer to Holy Week, it is worth pointing out that there is a very good reason why Jesus fulfilled his mission on Passover week. 
For those who see Jesus as just one that stood in our place as a vengeful God unleashed all his fury on an innocent man who happened to be his son, Jesus' choice of Passover will hopefully cause you to call that way of thinking into question. Yes, Jesus did stand in our place. But try to get away from thinking of God as one who's ready to stomp and smash. Because Jesus' choice of Passover tells us a lot. Passover is not the holy day where sins are atoned for. The Jews had a number of different special high holy days throughout the year. Passover was not the one where a sacrificial lamb was killed for the sins of the people and a scapegoat was sent out into the wilderness carrying the sins of people into the wilderness. That is the celebration of Yom Kippur, and I don't necessarily expect that to mean anything to you all, but Yom Kippur happens in around September or October. So the opposite end of the year. Passover is in the spring, Yom Kippur is in the fall. So we're on the opposite side. You know, if you think of that as two poles of the same thing, we're on the opposite side of it. Passover celebrates God delivering his people from slavery. And we need to keep that in mind, very closely in mind, as we get closer and closer to Palm Sunday, Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, because Passover is very much part and parcel of what Jesus is doing on the cross. He is delivering us from slavery to sin and death. Passover is all about deliverance. And yes, Jesus is our atonement. I am not denying Jesus as our atonement. But that atonement must be seen through the lens of deliverance by a God who loves his people and loved Jesus, but was willing, and Jesus was willing, to be the one to stand in our place. We have to understand that this is the deliverance by a God who loves his people and will do anything to liberate them. And with that, we will look at the prototype deliverer. One who will himself appear with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, pointing to Jesus' authority as the Messiah, the true Deliverer, the true Savior. I am speaking of none other than Moses, the most significant, arguably the most significant figure of the Old Testament, even more than David himself. As we look at our text today, the trouble is very apparent to see. The children of Israel, the children of Jacob, are living in Egypt after the famine from the time of Joseph. If you know your Genesis very well, you'll know that, that Joseph was sold into slavery. That's kind of a little hint of what's going to happen. Joseph is then promoted to be second in command in Egypt. His brothers come to him for aid. They don't realize that it's him. And ultimately, the long story short, Joseph is reconciled with his brothers. His family moves to Egypt in order to escape a deadly famine, and the people set up roots there. But God never intended his people to stay in Egypt. 
And that's kind of a concept that needs to get brought up in the church once in a while. It's very easy for us to always want to go back to where it's comfortable, where we where things are familiar, and God says, nope, you've got to leave Egypt and go to the land flowing with milk and honey. A land that's already occupied by other people that you're going to have to trust in God to deal with. But to give you a little bit of history here, and I'm going to try not to drone on too long about this, but it seems that the time that Joseph came into Egypt and the time when the people of Israel became kind of a prominent people in Egypt seems to be what historians refer to as the Hyksos period in Egypt. And again, I don't expect that to mean much to anyone other than what had happened is the native Egyptians had had an empire in Egypt that should seem all familiar. You think of the pyramids and all that. That was built by the earlier Egyptian empire. This foreign people moved into Egypt called the Hyksos. I don't know where they were from, but they were outside of Egypt. They invaded and they conquered and they set up their own empire in Egypt. They took over essentially. And it seems like Joseph and his family were there around this time. And the Hyksos pharaohs seem to be very favorable to outside peoples because they had been outside peoples. There may have even been a connection between the Hyksos and the Israelites. I don't know that for sure. But when the native Egyptians rebelled against these Hyksos invaders and drove them out and reestablished the native Egyptian rule, what happened was the native Egyptians started to look at all the foreign peoples living in Egypt saying, we don't like these people. And the Israelites were among those groups. They developed a fear of outsiders and the Israelites got the brunt of that fear. First, they were enslaved and driven to hard labor. Then they were dehumanized. They were given brutal taskmasters that forced them to do everything from farming to mixing the mortar for the bricks. In other words, the native Egyptians treated the Israelites like slave robots to do all the hard work while they sat around enjoying life. They have gone from the children of Joseph, the second in command of Egypt, to being put into forced labor camps. Secondly, they were driven into, into an experience of, frankly, genocide, a holocaust. The Egyptians feared the Israelites because apparently they had lots of children. And they were worried that they would soon outnumber the native Egyptians, and so they decided to decimate their numbers by killing the boys. At first, Pharaoh orders the midwives to kill the boys, and they rightly disobey Pharaoh and obey God instead, and God blesses them. Then Pharaoh orders the native Egyptians to do it. He orders the systematic annihilation of all Israelite boys by having them thrown into the Nile. And I think this is the reason why one of the earliest 
plagues against Egypt or miracles that happens during the Exodus is the river Nile being turned to blood. This is a judgment against Egypt. Egypt used the Nile, which was the only source of real water in the area. They depended on the flooding of the Nile to water their fields. They used the life-giving Nile as an instrument of execution, and so now God is passing judgment on them by turning it to blood. So the people of Israel are at rock bottom at this point. They have been enslaved and their slave masters are killing their sons. When Jesus lived and taught, he and later Paul would look at sin as an enslaving force. Not just that, oh, you broke a rule, but that you are controlled by an outside force Things that consume you and you are not your own. To really truly understand sin, you have to get beyond saying, oh, I committed that sin or so-and-so committed that sin. Sin has to be thought of as an overall enslaving force. It's not just bad actions, but it's a state of being. Like being chained up against one's will. Paul points it out this way. He even says, the good that I want to do, I don't do it. And the bad that I don't want to do, that I do instead. He says that in the book of Romans. Because of the rebellion of humanity against God, we had put other things in God's place. And when we do that, we become slaves to those things. The most common, I've mentioned these before, N.T. Wright talks about them, the most common slave masters, you might say, the most common false gods throughout all of history tend to be wealth, lust, and power. And I've talked about these before, and if, if you're a newer, and I'm speaking to our anybody that might listen to the podcast now at this point, or if you weren't here when I preached about uh, the dark powers a couple years ago, um, those of you who are newer listeners or new attenders uh, and only started listening since the pandemic began, I encourage you to go back in the podcast, and this would only be in the podcast, not the videos, but back in the podcast and listen to our messages on the dark powers back in 2019. The long and short is we think we are taking charge when in fact we are giving up our freedom when we submit ourselves to these dark desires. We become less than human and we become slaves. And one who is in chains cannot free themselves. They need a deliverer. Moses is a fugitive from justice in Egypt. And if you want to hear about how all that happens, read chapter 2. Of Exodus, it tells about how Moses had killed an Egyptian and, and is on the run for his life. He comes to a place in, on the Sinai and he has the original burning bush moment. He meets God. This burning bush, it's, it's kind of a metaphor back to the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. 
God is the tree of life. God is the new chance to make the right choices. God is the one who delivers his enslaved people. God says, I have heard my people's cry. God says that he is going to free his people and he's going to do it through Moses. That's one of the things I almost get a chuckle when I read chapter 3 of Exodus. God says, I am going to deliver my people. And then he says, now go. I'm sending you to go do it. It's kind of like, well, why, why, why don't you just go do it, God? I'd, I'd rather, rather just sit back and watch. In chapter 4 of Exodus, Moses gives a laundry list of reasons why he can't do the job that God has for him. But his top two reasons are, who am I to go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go? And number two, people are going to ask me, who is this God that you speak of that cares for us? And God's answer to both questions is, first, he says, I will go with you and I will do the work. God's just asking Moses to go. God's going to, to, to do the work of deliverance. And to the second question of who are you, he says, I am the God of your ancestors. I am who I am, Yahweh. This name implies one who is alone. This name means there is none other like him. There are no other gods that can stand next to Yahweh and claim to be his equal. There is only the one. And lastly, God makes this clear. The enslaving power is going to be judged. From the beginning of time, whether consciously or not, people have called out to God to be freed from the futility of ourselves. We lack the ability to overcome the dark powers of sin and death. In Exodus, we see that God hears the cry of his children. He is a God of action who will move heaven and earth to save his children. And he will accomplish his will through a human being. But God, even with Moses, promises to do the work. He is the one who alone is God. He is the one who will judge the enslaving dark powers. And when he comes to liberate his people, unlike Moses, the ultimate deliverer, the Messiah, Jesus, God in the flesh, will not offer excuses as to why he can't do the job. Jesus' response to God's calling to be our deliverer is, Your will be done. And he will literally hang on a tree, becoming the tree of life to all people. Next week we will look at how God both delivered Israel and how he brought judgment on Egypt. And how that parallels to the deliverance and judgment that Jesus will bring, taking us up to Holy Week. But until then, know that God has loved us so much to send us a deliverer, his own and only son, who willingly comes to do the work to save us when we couldn't save ourselves.
That is true love and good news indeed. Amen. Gracious, holy, and loving God, as we depart here today, we thank you for revealing to us how you saved your people Israel by working through your servant Moses. And we thank you for the good news that it reminds us of that you likewise sent your son Jesus to save all people from the power of sin and death. Help us to live that good news in our lives and to shine your light in the world as you have called us to. We pray that you guide us and direct us, be with us, and bless us until we meet here again. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen, and go in peace.